Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the privilege to be able to gather here this morning as brothers and sisters to focus our attention where it needs to be, and that's on the worship of you. And Lord, it's so fitting. We dare not enter a new year without first coming before you to say thank you. Because everything we are and everything we have is a gift that you have graciously given to us. Thank you for breaking the bond of our sin and shame so that we can have a relationship with you and experience your power in us to be able to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. So we thank you at the start of this year. And now, Father, I pray as we open your word, I ask that you would help us to hear it. I pray you'd help us to understand it. And then I pray that you'd give us the willing heart to apply it to our lives. We pray this in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to thank the team of people who came in yesterday to dismantle Bethlehem. I know that probably sounds weird to say in a church, but who dismantled the Christmas set and uh, the team that took down all the Christmas decorations. We appreciate what you do, and we want to say thank you for taking time to look after those things. It's important. But as I walked in this morning and looked at this big open space, I now realize as a hunter why deer like to stay on the edge of fields. Because when you're in the middle of a big open space, you feel very isolated and vulnerable. And so I'm just going to pretend that all these instruments and everything are up behind us, and I'm not on this big platform all on my own. And, uh, but it's great to see you. And uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning about how to become more attractive. Yes, how to become more attractive. Now, if any of you feel like I do after all the good eating we've enjoyed over the holidays, you're either saying, well, that's probably an appropriate topic to talk about this morning, or you're saying, Pastor Calvin, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, the good news is I'm not going to give you a pep talk on how to get back in shape, or myself, how to get back in shape. But what I am going to do this morning in the time that we have is guide us through a pep talk from God's Word that highlights the importance of becoming more attractive. How many of you are familiar or have watched the show Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives? Put up your hand. Okay. For those of you who are not familiar with it, it's a show hosted by a guy named Guy Fieri. And what he does is he goes on road trips and visits different restaurants that are popular with the local people where they are situated. So he stops at each restaurant, and there he highlights the food that that establishment is famous for. So whenever Rogers has a free preview of the Food Network, yes, even I sit down and enjoy watching the show. And judging by your response, many of you do as well. My only recommendation to those who have not watched it yet is do not watch it late at night if you are hungry. Because the food all looks so delicious, and what happens is it generates this craving inside of you to eat whatever it is, doesn't matter if it's roast, pork, a burger, poutine, Whatever is being highlighted on that episode, you have this craving to taste that for yourself in that moment. But what I've noticed about this show is it is very effective in attracting families like mine to even plan ahead when going on vacations in order to make stops at some of these restaurants where Guy has visited so that we can taste for ourselves the food that we have only seen on TV. Who has stopped at a restaurant and planned to stop and eat at a restaurant that you've seen on that show? Well, you are the healthy crowd because this morning, most of the 9 o'clock, we're like, yeah, 
we've been in. Here's a picture of the last one my family visited. Blue ash chili. I've been practicing saying that all week. Deli and chili bar in Cincinnati, Ohio. And let me tell you, yes, you can put chili on anything and it will taste good. I didn't know Cincinnati was famous for their chili, but this is one of the restaurants and so we decided, let's go. And it was good. It's amazing. One show, simply by watching, has drawn our family to plan when we go on vacation to make stops so that we can experience and taste for ourselves the delicious food that we've only seen on the show. So, it's with that thought in mind of effectively attracting people that I, that I thought it would be good for us this morning as we embark on a new decade to reflect on this question. What does my life attract people to? What does your life attract people to? I want you to reflect on that as we work through our sermon this morning. Because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, people are watching us. And how we live has the potential to powerfully influence others. The Apostle Paul expands on the significance of this very topic of becoming attractive when he wrote his letter to Titus, his co-worker in the gospel. And before we get to our text, let me just give you some background so that we're all up on the same page. Titus was a Gentile who likely was led to faith by, Christ, by Paul and uh, became a beloved disciple and fellow worker with Paul in the spreading of the gospel. In fact, Paul refers to him at the beginning of the letter as his true son in our common faith. So at one point, while Titus was working with Paul on the island of Crete, Paul needed to move on to Macedonia to take care of some issues there. So he left Titus in Crete in a type of transition role to be able to finish up the work that Paul was not able to complete of correcting false doctrine and practices that were entering the household churches on the island of Crete. And also, Titus was to appoint leaders from the heads of those households to continue to take care of the ministry. So it was no easy assignment that Titus was left with. But Paul felt comfortable in trusting Titus as his official delegate, based on the fact that Titus's theological understanding and his convictions were in line with what Paul had been teaching him. And so it was while Titus was on his own, ministering on this island, continuing the work in a transition role, that Paul wrote this letter to him for two reasons. First of all, to personally encourage Titus in the face of challenges that he was getting from ungodly people within the household churches. But secondly, Paul wanted Titus to take the encouragement and the counsel he was receiving and to be able to give it to the leaders that Titus was going to appoint. So this morning, as we think about becoming more attractive, what does my life attract people to? I want us to unpack some of those practical instructions that Paul gave Titus to equip not only himself, but every believing household on the island of Crete to become more attractive, but here's the key, for the sake of the gospel. To become more attractive for the sake of the gospel. So if you have your Bible, will you turn with me to Titus? Chapter 2, we will read the first 10 verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they live, 
not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So from this passage, I want to highlight for us this morning two keys to becoming more attractive and three domino effects if we're willing to go on this journey. Two keys to becoming more attractive and three domino effects. The first key is this, and we see this in verse 1. We must know the truth and be committed to teaching and sharing with one another the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the first key. Verse 1, Paul says, you, however, Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. It's easy for us to see when we read that from Paul's language here. He's not simply wanting Titus to think about this. He's not saying, hey, Titus, can I make a suggestion for you while you minister to the believers on the Isle of Crete? No, quite the opposite is happening here. He is actually commanding Titus that whatever he teaches the believers on the Isle of Crete must be in accordance or in other words, consistent with sound doctrine. You might be asking, well, what is sound doctrine? Well, Paul defines it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Sound doctrine is that which conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed Lord. In other words, it is the set of beliefs we as Christians follow that reveal God's glory, His perfect attributes. His holiness, his hatred for sin, his justice, his, his, his uh, expectation and demand of punishment for violating the law, and his grace, his undeserved favor and forgiveness of sin provided through Christ on our behalf. These key attributes, his holiness, his justice, and his grace make up the core of the gospel message that Paul had been approved of by God and entrusted to spread throughout the area on his mission journeys. And it was in accordance with that sound doctrine that Titus was to teach by. Five times in his letter, two times in the verses we read today, Paul uses this term sound to communicate the idea of something that is healthy. Therefore, sound doctrine, truth, is one that produces healthy spiritual results in the life of those who believe it, and who follow it. Fruit that corresponds with what the scriptures teach. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, there we see the fruit of the Spirit. This was important for Titus to know because the believers in Crete were being infiltrated by false teachers with unhealthy doctrine, which was producing fruit, quarrels, and divisions among people, and actually turning whole families away from the faith. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households 
by teaching things that teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain unhealthy spiritual fruit that was not consistent with sound doctrine that's why paul was urging titus titus you have to teach according to sound doctrine that will produce spiritually healthy believers unlike what the false teachers are doing as they infiltrate the household churches so what Paul was urging Titus and the believers in Crete to do still applies to us today as we embark on a new decade. And that is, if we want to become more attractive as individuals, as households, and as a congregation, then we must be committed to knowing what the Scripture teaches and be committed to teaching one another and sharing with others only what is consistent with sound doctrine, not compromising from the truth of God's Word even in the face of increasing opposition. And you and I know as believers living in Canada, that opposition is only turning up. So we have to know the truth and we have to be committed to teaching one another a truth and not compromising from the truth. That's important because our doctrine not only determines what we believe, but it also shapes how we live. It teaches us what we ought to love and it helps us to understand and separate truth from what is false. We must be people of the word in order to effectively attract and disciple others. Just like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, do your best, do your best at the start of a new decade to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Can I just give you some practical, helpful tools as you embark on this new decade and in this idea of knowing the truth, knowing God's word, knowing our doctrine better so that we can effectively teach it, all of it, and nothing but the truth. Alongside your daily Bible reading, it starts there. If you want to know what sound doctrine is, go to the source. We all need to make sure that we have setting aside time every day to be filling our mind with truth, with God's word. But in my own journey of trying to grow and understanding doctrine so that I'm faithfully able to teach it, I just want to share with you a few tools that I have found that might be helpful for you. Second thing I'd recommend you to do, if Calvary Baptist Church is your home church, then go online, study our statement of faith, and make sure you know it. Because it's based on sound doctrine. It's based on God's word. Then when people ask you, what is your church's position on this and this, you can just say, well, God's position on this and this is this. So go online. Know the statement of faith of your church. Study it. Know it. But two other tools that I've found very helpful for me, and the first one will give you a hint why I find it very helpful, helpful, is a book called Visual Theology, meaning there's lots of pictures. And those are my kind of books. Visual Theology, written by Tim Challies. He's a Canadian. It's an excellent book. We invest our money in so many things, and as I get older, I'm realizing I need to start investing in things that are actually going to help me develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I'd encourage you, go online, purchase Visual Theology by Tim Challies. Start to read it. Start to study it throughout the year. Another helpful tool I picked up at a conference we were at is called Devotional Doctrine by the Gospel Project. Small little book, great little devotion each day, and it's just helping us to understand the truth, sound doctrine. And then finally, the last one, which might uh, be appealing to those of you who like technology, I'm, I'm not, but It'll be helpful to you. It's called the New City Catechism. And there's an app for your phone. 
And basically what it does is it goes through the 52 weeks of the year, and each week it deals with one key doctrinal truth of our faith. Put it on your phone at lunch or just sitting waiting for a doctor's point. Look it up. What's the truth for this week? Helpful tools so that you will know the truth, so that you will be able to share the truth with others, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So that's the first key. The second key is this. In becoming more attractive, we must be people who are committed to living lives according to the truth. We must be people who not only know the truth and can teach the truth, but we must be people who are committed to living lives according to the truth. Now, you'll be pleased to know that there's only two main points to this sermon, and you've heard them both. But we're not over. The second point I want us to flesh out and work through together. Because, you see, taking God's word seriously is a core value of this church. Meaning we not only believe that God's word is the final authority in our faith and practices of the Christian life, but we also believe that God's word is intended to renew our minds for life transformation. And in verses 2 through 10, which we're going to work through together, Paul gives us some practical instructions based on sound doctrine regarding how we are to live in relationship to each other, both within the household of faith and with those outside the household of faith. How many of you ever played with dominoes when you were a kid? Set them up, knocked it, watched the domino effect? I used to love to. I've actually never played the game of dominoes. I understand there is a game that has rules that you follow, but I've just always, only thing I've done with dominoes is set them up in these cool patterns, flick that first one, and then just watch the domino effect. And I got to enjoy that as long as none of my three older siblings were around who flicked it before I had the pleasure of doing it myself. So as we work through this passage this morning on practical instructions for godly living, I hope you will see the domino effect that can take place if we as individuals and as households and as a congregation will commit ourselves to living out our doctrine, living out the gospel in our daily lives. So are you ready? Here we go. First domino. Teach the older men. Wow, that's encouraging, isn't it? Teach the older men. Now, I'm smart enough to know that it would not be wise and, and wouldn't be in my best, best interest for job security to declare this morning what age classifies a man as an older man. So, I will defer that responsibility of establishing that criteria to the Apostle Paul. You can take it up with him. In Philemon verse 9, Paul uses the same term to refer to himself when he was over 60. Some of you are going, I'm still young. I'm sorry to tell you that many other scholars say this category should include any male over 40. So at the start of a new decade, I'm here to encourage you with the fact that if you are a male and you are over 40, you are an older man. And we just need to embrace what we are. So men, if you are here, you're over 40 years old, don't be discouraged by what I just told you and by what Paul established. Because what I want you to notice as we work through this is it's not our age that really matters. It's our character. It's not our age that matters. It is our character. So let's look through these now. First domino. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. Temperate meaning level-headed. Men who show good understanding demonstrated through self-restraint. Prudent men, temperate men, <coughs> worthy of respect, dignified. Men who conduct themselves in such a way that not only shows reverence towards God, 
but live in a way that is honorable amongst those who they are around. Self-controlled men. When I read that, the first passage of Scripture that came to my mind was James 1.19. Older men, we are to be men who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Men who avoid extremes. And then he says you're to be sound, you're to be healthy in three areas. Faith, in love, and endurance. Here again we see this idea of sound meaning healthy. As older men, we are to be spiritually healthy in faith. Men who not only know our truth, not only know doctrine, but men who also demonstrate faithfulness to the truth by how we live. We're to be sound in love. This is the ultimate Christian virtue, is it not? Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the leading mark of authentic discipleship. We need to be men who are charitable, thoughtful, and show goodwill towards others, which was opposite to the behavior that the false teachers were showing in and amongst the churches on the island of Crete. And finally, he says, and in endurance. Men who persevere, men who are steadfast. Can I encourage you, one of the privileges I have of working at the church is we get to attend most of the funerals that take place here. And can I just say, if you want to understand and have a better understanding of what it looks like to be a man who persevered and who is steadfast, I would encourage you, you hear us on Sundays announce who passed away and when the funeral will be. If you're able to sometime, come to some of those funerals. And you hear through the testimony of their family and their co-workers what it means to be a man with endurance, steadfast, who persevered. These biblical qualities are what, we, are what we need to commit to as men displaying in our daily lives to be sensible and to be spiritually healthy. First domino. Next domino. Likewise, teach the older woman. This is where I tread very carefully in the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they live. This is the biblical expectation of Christian women over the age of 40. They are to be dignified in their demeanor and behavior. Women who, like the men, are not to only show reverence to God, but also live honorably amongst others. Demonstrating, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.10, good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Women who support the testimony of being a follower of Christ, not only through their demeanor, not only through their wardrobe and appearance, but also through their actions. And what actions specifically does the Apostle Paul encourage Titus to teach the believers? Teach the older women not to be slanderers, not to be addicted to much wine, but they are to teach what is good. Older women, do not be slanderers, malicious, nasty gossipers who falsely accuse others, women who are overcritical, and use their leisure time to find fault with others. I learned this week that a slanderer is definitely not what you want to be known as. Were you aware that 34 times in the New Testament this term is used to describe Satan, the chief slanderer? Do not be slanderers. Or addicted to much wine. Interesting, this was a very common problem in Paul's day on the island of Crete. The older woman seemed to really enjoy their alcohol. 
And it would, what that does is it prevents them from being sober-minded. It prevents them from living prudent lives, honorable lives. And I would say it would apply in all aspects of life. No one should be enslaved to any vice that leads to not being sober-minded. Instead, ladies, don't use your leisure time to find fault in others. And I'm, like I said, I'm not a techie person, but I live in a techie world. And can I just say, we've got to be so careful with the whole social media thing because it's so easy to sit in our living rooms in our chair and look at what people are doing and start to criticize. We just need to be very careful not to be slanderers, but to use our free time rather to teach others what is good. Teach one another things that please God, things that are in line with sound doctrine. And why is that so important that we first understand, ladies, that we need to live reverent in the way that we live, not be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. At the beginning of verse 4, there's a key word, then. Then, the next domino, those older women who exhibit being reverent in every area of their life can urge, train, encourage the younger woman. Any woman under 40 years of age. You see, ladies, you might think, oh, I'm older and there's not much for me to do in the church anymore. There's so much for you to do. In that season of life, there's such great opportunity for you to encourage, to influence the younger generation. Please do not think there's no role for me in the church anymore. Until the Lord takes your breath away, you have the potential through the power of the Holy Spirit to influence the younger generation to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And notice the order here. Before you can teach, before you can encourage others, you need to be personally practicing these virtues, these principles in your own life. Older women and men, for that matter, are to exemplify the virtues that we want to teach in order that through our own godly living example, we will have credibility to be able to instruct the younger generation. There's a parenting quote that I heard when I was younger. Now I'm older, but when I was younger, and this is what it said. It's not just what you taught them, but it's what they caught while they watched you. It's not just what you taught, but it's what they caught while watching you. So ladies... Commit yourself to being reverent in the way that you live. Avoid slander and becoming addicted or a slave to any vices. Rather, spend your time teaching what is good. And the good that you are to teach, the good that the Apostle Paul teaches Titus, that they are to urge the younger woman, that word urge means to remind them continuously, to, to call them back to. What you are supposed to be reminding and urging the younger woman to do is found in verses 4 and 5. Teach them to love their husbands and children. Teach them to be self-controlled and pure. Teach them to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. I'm not going to ask Pastor Steve to come and teach this part of the sermon this morning. It's tough to teach it. And I want you to understand before I even start the tension I felt this week because this is truth, this is sound doctrine, and we need to teach it. But in the culture we live in, it's tough. So I pray that God will enable me to gracefully teach his truth so that we do not minimize the sound doctrine that Paul was giving Titus. 
young women to love their husbands and children. It was an exhortation, actually, that was very consistent with the Greco-Roman cultural ideal for younger women in Paul's day. So this wasn't such a surprise. And just like then, younger married women today need to be encouraged by the older woman to prioritize the original love they have for their husbands and their children. Because a love that, can, that is a love that can often, without encouragement, grow weary simply from life circumstances, distractions outside the home, and I think this is a big one, or lack of response from their families. I put that in, in my notes in bracket, and I've, I'm committed to doing a better job of that at the start of this new decade. Husbands, children, men, please make sure we appreciate and thank the woman in our lives. They are a gift to us from God. Whether it's a wife, whether it's a mother, whether it's an older lady in the church that is discipling you, we need to do a better job of saying thank you. I appreciate you. It's so important. And older women, because you have lived through the busyness of raising children and understand the strain on a home when both parents have to work, you are able with understanding You are able with understanding to be able to encourage the younger woman that in the midst of the busyness of all that is acquired of a woman in 2020, can I encourage you, sister, don't forget to prioritize loving your husbands and your children. It's that principle that we read about in Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 10, verse 24. Consider how you may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Older woman in the church, can I challenge you this year? Consider how you can encourage a younger woman in the church to prioritize these principles based on sound doctrine. Be creative. Find out their phone number. Send them a text. Send them a card. Encourage them to pursue these virtues that are so important to who we are. And younger woman, like the other virtues mentioned in all these verses, loving your husband and your children is based on God's will. Listen closely, not on your husband's worthiness. That's tough. That's real. Love your husbands and your children based on sound doctrine, not based on his worthiness. As I was working through this passage one time, I was in the kitchen this week with Jen. And she was so helpful. I said, Jen, that's so tough to teach because I know of situations. And there's going to be ladies sitting in the congregation that morning. And she just said something very simple. She just said, you know, in her own life, what she's had to learn is that what she does for me and my family is first out of her act of worship and obedience to her Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to get to that point where our doctrine affects how we live because it's tough because I know as a man I'm not always temperate I'm not always worthy of respect I'm not always under self-control I do live in extremes sometimes and if you're here this morning and you find it very frustrating and hard to love your husband and children may I just suggest a couple of steps that I think would be helpful to you first of all remind yourself of the truth go back to doctrine 
And remind yourself that God has loved you in the same way he's asking you to love your husband. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, unworthy, Christ died for us. Go back and know your doctrine. But secondly, may I also encourage you to never forget who you are ultimately serving. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's who you're ultimately serving. That's why knowing your doctrine is so critical. That's why Titus was counseled to start there. Because as one author said, and this quote was so helpful for me, and I hope it will be helpful to you if you're in a situation where it's hard to actually apply God's word because of the situation you're in. Listen to this quote. Sound doctrine is the soil in which right living grows. Sound doctrine is the soil in which right living grows. It's not, I'm not here saying, do this and don't do that. What I'm saying is, if you don't understand God's will behind why he's asking you to live the way you do, you will be frustrated. As that author said, application without theology, without understanding the why, is like a cut flower. It's only beautiful for a little while but it will die. And so I encourage you, know your theology. It is the soil in which right living will grow. Be self-controlled and pure, he goes on to say in verse 5. Thoughtful, moderate in behavior. In, in this particular context, he was especially talking about sexual purity. Because just as we see in our culture today, there was also movements in that culture. In fact, there was a movement in Paul's day called the New Woman Movement that was infiltrating the Cretan home churches, which promoted to the young woman attire and conduct which was consistent with sexually and socially free women. So that's why it makes sense. You're saying, no, 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 teach them to be self-controlled and pure, different than what the movements are in culture. Live holy lives, set apart, different than the norm, and teach them to be busy at home. The term homemaker, common a few decades ago, would probably best convey what was meant in the society of Paul's day. Now, I realized as I was preparing this week that we live in different times and in different contexts than the believers Paul was writing to. Today, there are so many more opportunities for women to use their God-given gifts and talents outside of the home, which I support. My wife works full-time outside of the home. But what we should not minimize in discipling our daughters and other younger women is that managing one's household well out of reverence for Christ and as a way to show love towards your husband and children is in accordance with sound doctrine. Don't let culture tell you otherwise. It is in accordance with sound doctrine. Be kind, eager to do good, and finally, younger women are to be subject to their husbands. We must not forget that a distinctly patriarchal arrangement was the norm in the Greco-Roman world in which these believers lived. Therefore, you can understand why Paul was saying to them, you need to be subject to your husbands for the sake of the gospel. Because not being subject to their, to their husbands in that culture, which was expected of all women, whether you're a believer or not, would have placed Christianity in a bad light. You understand that? He wasn't just saying, be subject to your husbands. No, he's saying, 
No, no, no. This is so important that you're subject to your husband. Here's why. Because the gospel is at stake. The message of what we're trying to teach these people is at stake. And we know from God's instructions for Christian households found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 33, that Christians' homes serve such a greater purpose than just meeting the cultural norms. They have a greater purpose than that. See, when we relate to one another according to sound doctrine in a complementary way, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submitting yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord and respecting him, and husbands loving your wives sacrificially just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why is that so important? Because we are actually reflecting and making known to those around us the beautiful, sacrificial, loving, permanent relationship of Christ to his church. It's as if God is making his appeal through us to the world. And this type of love for one's husband would have been very counterculture to the radical feminism that was an, in an integral part of the Greek culture flourishing throughout the time of the early church. So just as it was back then, it's critical for the sake of the gospel, for Christian households, men, women, children, to live according to sound doctrine for the sake of the gospel. Two key points. Make sure we know the truth. Make sure we're teaching the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And make sure we're living lives in accordance to that truth. Three domino effects. So that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one will criticize the gospel that we teach. You see, when we don't live according to his word, we open up the opportunity to bring criticism to the gospel. Whereas, as one author said, an equal, mutually loving and respective relationship out of reverence for Christ can be a testimony that will keep people from having anything bad to say about the gospel. But when our actions contradict our doctrine, it appears to those who are watching us that what we actually believe and follow is irrelevant. It's powerless. Your life, your marriage, your hustle is no different than mine. It's unattractive. See, what Paul is highlighting for the believers is the purpose, the why, for living according to sound doctrine is to eliminate any reproach, any criticism on Scripture. There is no more powerful, effective way for a person to be convinced God can save from sin and transform a life than to see people living changed lives. But sad to say, too often... People have made fun of God and his truth because of the sinful behavior of those of us who claim to be Christians. Verse 6, similarly, next domino, encourage the younger men. Who are younger men? 12 years and older. To be self-controlled. To be of sound mind. Teach them to be temperate. Teach them to live sensibly. Having two sons in this age demographic, I have come to better understand as a father that the temptations and the pressures on our young men are intense. And we cannot let them walk alone through this season of life. The competition is always present, whether in sports, whether in academics, whether in popularity. And sad to say, that same culture sometimes infiltrates into the church 
into our youth groups. We need to walk closely with our younger men. So notice how Titus instructs, Paul instructs Titus to encourage the younger men by living an example for them to watch. Isn't that something? By being a living example. Verse 7, in everything, Titus, set for them an example by doing what is good. Set for them an example by living what is according to sound doctrine. Again, here we see the obligation, as was with the older woman. We are to first exemplify these moral and spiritual qualities that we desire to see in our younger men to follow. That's how Paul lived. Did he not say, follow me as I follow? The example of Christ. And in your teaching, show integrity, soundness, healthy. What is it you're teaching? A seriousness that reflects a heart that appreciates that we have been improved by God and entrusted with the gospel to disciple the next generation. Can I just say before I move on, men in the church, I gave the woman a challenge. Men in the church, can I ask you to do me a favor? Even this week, I want you to think of men who God has allowed you to be in their sphere of influence who have shown you what it is to be temperate, self-controlled, worthy of respect, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance, and have not just taught you that, but have lived it out in their daily lives, please thank them this week if they're still alive. Send them an email. Send them a text. Give them a phone call. But say thank you to the men in your life who have lived out these principles that Paul is urging Titus to teach the believers on the island of Crete. Verse 8, he says, make sure that you have soundness, healthiness of speech that cannot be condemned. See, how we speak to one another and in front of others is very important because it actually reflects our inner being. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 says, the things that come out of your mouth come from the heart. So if we claim to love the Lord... And then are careless with our speech, and it doesn't reflect that inner love and reverence for him, we don't have credibility with the next generation. There should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Daily we need to pray Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my mouth. So that, the second domino effect, those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. See, similar to verse 5, the purpose of godly living is to silence the opponents of Christianity and the message of the gospel. And in so doing, we make the power of Christ so attractive. Our behavior should should be unimpeachable so that even the opponents of the gospel will have no grounds for accusing us of evil. Finally, in verse 9 and 10, He switches his focus from household relationships to instructions for the believers related to their working relationships with those in authority over them. He says to them and to us, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. In Paul's day, not like ours today, thank the Lord, but in Paul's day, it was not uncommon for Christians living on the island of Crete in the Roman Empire to be enslaved and owned by masters. 
As one author said, they had few, if any, civil rights and often were given little more dignity or care than domestic animals. And yet, in spite of their unfair circumstances, Paul instructs Titus, remind, call back the believers on the Isle of Crete who are slaves. Remind them that they are believers representing the gospel of Christ and that they are to be subject, to come under the authority of their masters and not just to obey them. Did you notice that? But he says, try to please them. Not just obey them, but tell the believers, try to please those in authority over you. Whether their masters were believers or unbelievers, fair or unfair, kind or cruel. How would someone have been able to do that? Remember what I said earlier. Sound doctrine is the soil that right living grows in. Listen to the instructions to slaves in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Listen to the motivation. Listen to what makes someone able to live according to sound doctrine in unfair circumstances. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. There's the doctrine. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. Who am I a slave of? Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people, not your masters. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Sound doctrine is the soil in which right living grows. So what was the behavior that they were supposed to do that shows that they were pleasing their masters? Don't talk back to them. Don't steal from them but rather show that you can be fully trusted. God's expectations of his children in the workplace, even though we are not slaves, is that we should show integrity both in word and deed for the sake of the gospel. Though today we are not slaves to our employees, these principles of how we are to operate under the authority of others applies generally to all Christian employees. And as one author correctly said, if slaves were to refrain from talking back to their masters, how much more should we as freely employed people avoid office slander? With the only exception being when we are being asked to disobey God's word, and then there is a correct way of handling that so that even then the gospel we profess will not be criticized. So whether you're an older man or an older woman, whether you're a younger man or a younger woman, Being committed to living lives according to the truth of God's word is critical for the third domino effect. Verse 10. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Isn't that good? That's something I think we have a little chalkboard at home. And uh, Jen every now and then will change the saying. And she put a new one on this week. I told her I really liked New Year, but same Savior. Right? I think this would be something good that we all put on our houses. In every way in this new decade, let us live in such a way that we make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Because Paul was highlighting for them that sound character is based on sound doctrine and needs to be demonstrated through godly living. And if we do that, we can have the potential to have powerful influence, not only in defending the gospel, but in also attracting others to Christ. And notice how the passage started with doctrine, 
Titus, you must teach according to sound doctrine. And here at the end of our passage that we're studying this morning, notice how it ends with sound doctrine. All this in the middle that we are to do is based on sound doctrine. Based on sound doctrine. So that in every way they will make the teaching, the doctrine about God our Savior attractive. There it is. There is the answer to the question I asked each of us to reflect on earlier in the service. What does my life attract people to? The answer should always be, for Christians, to the teaching about God our Savior. Our behavior should not only not alienate others, but it should also attract people to the gospel. And the gospel will only be attractive to our community, to our neighbors, as the behavior of those of us who profess it. So in closing, just as Guy Fiera makes food look so attractive that it draws people to want to taste it for themselves, God's encouragement to us today through the Apostle Paul is that in our desire to become more attractive for the gospel in this new decade, we must be people who know and teach sound doctrine, and we must live godly lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the truth. Then, and only then, will people be attracted to taste and see for themselves that the Lord is good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Paul, leading him by the Holy Spirit to pen this letter to Titus. What a practical, helpful, but yet daunting passage of scripture to consider as we begin a new year. But God, I thank you for giving us the truth that we need. Thank you for giving us sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. Thank you that you are the one who produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. And God, I pray that you would help us as individuals, as households, and as a congregation to commit ourselves to knowing the truth better this year. And I pray that you'd commit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to living godly lives in accordance with the truth for the sake of the gospel. We cannot do this in our own strength. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who empowers us to be able to make the message we declare real through our actions. And now, Lord, as we conclude this service, as we sing this song, I pray that each of us would consider carefully the words of the song and make it a prayer of dedication to these two key principles because we long to see these three domino effects happen in our homes, in our congregation, and in our community. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen. That's the key. None of this is possible if it wasn't for the love, the transforming love of Christ in our lives. And we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the power to be able to live godly lives in accordance to Scripture. I want to read to you in closing some encouragement that Paul gave another one of his co-workers, Timothy, that fits so well as we leave today. Brothers and sisters, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress becoming more attractive. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Go and become more attractive because through Christ we have 
the amazing potential to powerfully influence those inside of our household of faith, but also those outside the household of faith. God bless you. Have a great day and a good afternoon.